Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis, where we invite you into honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. Welcome to season three. Well, hey guys, welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. So grateful that you are joining us for this episode and you guys are not going to be disappointed because we're going to be joined by our good friend, Jason Romano here in just a few minutes. But before we dive into this episode, uh, it is the holidays. And if you have not checked out or bought my new book, Being Real is Greater Than Being Perfect, How Transparency Leads to Transformation, now is a great time to check it out on Amazon because it's 10% off and just in time for the holidays. But more than that, I think just in time for the new year. The whole purpose of the book is to help you experience not behavior modification, but heart transformation. And so if you know somebody that is maybe exhausted by trying to be perfect, or maybe you're exhausted by pretending to be perfect, uh, this is a book that I think will bring you great encouragement, but more than that, heart transformation in 2024. And so you can go to Amazon and check it out. Uh, Just search being real greater than being perfect. And it's 10% off right now. And so who doesn't love a good deal around the holidays. Well, let's dive into this episode, and we're joined by our good friend Jason Romano today. And Jason is the director of media with Sports Spectrum, and he's the host of the popular Sports Spectrum podcast. But for 17 years, he was an Emmy-winning producer and senior manager at ESPN. And he has created and produced content for shows such as SportsCenter, NFL Live, Mike and Mike in the Morning, which is my favorite ESPN show of all time, Sunday NFL Countdown, College Game Day, Outside the Lines, Major League Baseball's All-Star Game, and many, many more. But he's also the author of a book called Live to Forgive. And it's really his journey of choosing to forgive his father. And so if you struggle with forgiveness, man, this is going to be such a great episode to encourage you no matter where you are in the process of forgiveness. And so we hope you enjoy this episode with our good friend, Jason Romano. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Not going to lie, Justin, I've been pretty stoked for this interview. We just, um, just enjoy you as a person and just how you live life. But for the person listening that may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, what you're up to these days. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's great to see both of you. You know, I've been fans, if you will, not just friends with you guys, but fans for a long time and reading your books and love the ministry that you guys have done. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting season of life right now as we speak, because I'm about to be 50 years old. I know you just turned a big five oh Justin. So oh, you yeah. and I are 50 <laughs> brothers here um, within about a month span. And uh, it's it's a great season of life too, but also a challenging season because my wife and I are empty nesters because our daughter is in college and she's a sophomore at Indiana Wesleyan and Sarah is doing great as as a 19 year old um, college kid growing up and learning to be an adult and I'm just so mm. proud of her and she's amazing and my wife and I are kind of trying to learn how to be married again with a kid that's older and out of the house and that's been a fun season to try and, you know, re- rekindle, if you will, what marriage is like without having a kid to take care of every single day. Right. Um, so that's been good. And, and yeah, I work with Sports Spectrum and been working and serving with them for the last six and a half years. Sports Spectrum is a, a sports and faith media ministry, as I like to call it. Um, it's a media company, but we're also, you know, a ministry with the goal of sharing the gospel. And we're just using sports as, as a way to do that. So it's been a really cool season of life right now, I feel like, for me. That is way cool. Um, 
Talking we, about fanboying. Yes. Speaking of fanboying. <laughs> um, so I'll never forget the first time that you and I connected. Um, okay. I think you had followed me on, we followed each other on Twitter. This is probably 2013, maybe 2014, mm-hmm. uh, probably 2013, because our book had just come out. And we were at, we, Trish and I were at CPA High School where our son, oldest son played basketball. We were at a basketball game. And I look down on my phone and I see Jason Romano tweeted me <laughs> a quote of our quote from our book. I yes. go to your bio. You have the verif- you're verified at that point and yeah. you're an ESPN producer. And I literally sprint with hot dogs in my hand across the baseline up until the stands. I'm like, Jason Romano just tweeted our book. Like we've arrived. And hopefully your and wife I- said who? <laughs> But it was more like, you know, we lived in Nashville, Tennessee. So, like, yeah. you never know who's in the stands, you know, that is like, you yeah. know, so there's just, it's called the Nashville way. Um, yeah. We saw, uh, we were in Nashville this weekend taking our son to Lipscomb. And I was in the restroom, coming out of the restroom and almost like literally like fell into a girl. She was opening the door and it was uh, Lauren Daigle. And I was like. No big deal. I was like, oh. Play it cool, Trish. Like, you know, play it cool. But that's the Nashville way. You don't, like, make a fuss. And so I was just like, hi. Well, I mean, I'm sure working at ESPN, you you get used to seeing, you know, celebrities and, and sure. sports figures and stuff. So Justin has his hot dogs. And we are at this game. And but it just meant so much to me that, that the book resonated with you. But at that time, you were producing yeah. my favorite uh, morning show of all time, Mike and Mike in the morning. Uh, which yep. God rest that uh, show soul. Uh, after after you left, the whole thing went downhill. Oh, is, that what, is that what it was? Me? <laughs> I, I'm sure. But for those of you that are listening and not watching, Jason has an Emmy right behind him, yes. uh, which is very rare for any uh, uh, guests on the Let's Get Real podcast to have an Emmy uh, in the shot. But um, yeah. that was a that was a. I'm sure that was a great season of your life, um, just being in the, on that show and being it with the SPN. You were there yeah, for we- 11 years. I was there for 17 years. Yeah. 17. 17 at wow. ESPN. Yeah. I got there. I had just gotten married to my wife, you know, nine months earlier when I got to ESPN, 10 months earlier, I was 26, I think. And when I left, I was 42 or 43. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a good part of, of growing up in many ways in, you know, we hadn't had our daughter yet when we got to ESPN. And by the time I'm leaving, she's in the middle school. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. an interesting, um, you know, sort of progression of life that you think about when you're there. Uh, I loved my time there. I, I mm-hmm. loved working there. I, I loved saying that I worked there. Uh, it was to a detriment in many, many cases that my identity was 100% wrapped up in my job for many, many years. Um, but at the time when I'm going through that, I don't, I'm not thinking that's a bad thing because right. it's ESPN. Like yeah. somebody said yesterday that I was talking to who I hadn't talked to in a while, who I used to work with at ESPN. They said, listen, we're, we're in the playground every single day for our jobs. We're in the playground. And I used to call it the toy store. We're in the toy store every single day watching sports, consuming sports, being paid to go into work and, and talk about sports. So, I mean, it's really hard to complain when you know you've worked at a place like that. Uh, was it, you know, I, I look at it from a, you know, when you walk around and there was this sort of Nashville way about being at ESPN because you walk in and there's, you know, I remember the first day I walked in, 
I'm walking by Dan Patrick and I'm walking by Stuart Scott and Keith Olbermann oh. and these legends from the nineties on, yeah. on sports center that you and I both grew up with watching. And, and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, these, these are colleagues of mine. Like I'm working at the same place and being paid by the same people that they're being paid by. So it was kind of surreal and kind of crazy. Probably the most surreal was when you would work with, like, I remember Jerry Rice on his first day, he started at ESPN. It was maybe 2011 or 2012, somewhere in that range when I was still working on the NFL project at ESPN. And I remember going into the studio and seeing him and I looked at somebody next to me. I go, that's my teammate now. Like Jerry Rice is my teammate. And it was seniority. You had seniority. <laughs> and I have way more seniority than the greatest player of all time in the NFL. Um, but it was very surreal to look at those guys, or even to, to see like an Emmett Smith or a Darren Woodson. I, I grew up a Cowboys fan. So to see those two guys and know that they were teammates of mine, that's weird because these are heroes of mine, idol idols of mine that I watched when I was a kid. Yeah. that were now working at the same place I work. So yeah, it was, it was surreal. And honestly, I didn't lose that too much. Every day I would walk in and kind of just a little, little flutter in the stomach or a little reminder, Hey, you're working here. Don't forget yeah. that. Justin would get fired. Cause he'd be like, Hey, you I learn to control myself. When we first moved to Nashville, I was a little out of control. And I'm, I don't know if you were a DC talk fan in the nineties, yeah. but I was a huge DC talk fan. I lost my mind in Cool Springs Mall one afternoon when Michael Tate was walking around. I'm like, there's Michael Tate. There's Michael yep. Tate. And yeah. Christian went one way. The boys <laughs> went the other way. They like completely, well, I, over the course of time, we became, I'm sure like you, you became friends with people who were faint. Right. Yeah. Very, so, very weird. Very weird. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, had I took uh, Elijah to Chicago. We flew from Nashville to Chicago for his 16th birthday. And I got backstage for uh, a tour and Lecrae, he was a huge Lecrae fan. Yeah. And so we were backstage with, we just got to hang out backstage because Plum, Tiffany Lee was performing. And so we were good friends with her. So she brought us up and gave yeah. us VIP passes. Well, Michael Tate was in a part of Newsboys. <laughs> yes. And so he came up and gave me a huge hug. Well, I had to tell him the story. And I said, I don't know if you remember me or not. You may have gotten a restraining order against me <laughs> in Cool Springs about four years ago. Yes. Uh, but I almost accosted you because, you know, but it was it was so fun to to learn how so many of those people that you admire on TV, they really are the the people that they say that they are, that you think that they are. Now, there's some that, that aren't. Well, you would hope but, so, too. Like, yeah. I, for yeah. me, Daryl Strawberry is the guy. I was uh, I was the biggest Mets fan. I still am. Uh, they're not so good this year, but I, I still am a Mets fan, a suffering Mets fan. But in 1983, I became a Mets fan because of Daryl Strawberry. And yeah. so he was my guy. I have the posters on the wall, the jersey. I mean, I emulated his batting stance, everything. And so in 2009, I'm spending the day, being paid to spend the day, producing Daryl Strawberry as he comes to ESPN to to go and be interviewed on all of these shows. But that leads to a friendship that lasts to this day hmm. with my childhood hero. Like that's yeah. just wacky to me. And every time I talk to him or meet him, or even on the rare occasions once a year or so that he'll just call me out of the blue to check on me, my phone will ring and it'll say Daryl Strawberry and I'm looking at it and I'll just stare at it for a minute. Like, 
why do I have this guy's number? Why is he calling me? And how am I friends with him? Yeah. <laughs> like, Text God, you, Jason, stop looking at the phone and just answer it, dude. My wife said that the very first time he called. She, I said, honey, look who's calling me. It's Daryl Strawberry. She goes, well, you better answer the phone. I'm like, that's a good point. I probably okay. should. Well, you know how like technology has changed in social media, but like there yeah. was something, um, you know, I grew up in Chicago. So like the Bulls in the 90s, like oh, there yeah. was a season where even like ESPN, all of that was this big cultural moment. And so mm -hmm. for you to like enter into that space, it, I don't, you know, I, it'll, I don't think it'll ever be that again, only because it can't with how culture has changed in social media and all that. Everybody's yeah. a sportscaster now with their own phone. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, in 2000, when I got there, it was July 18th, 2000 was my first day at ESPN. You know, there's no social media. There is no, uh, cell phones are very, very new. Certainly there were flip phones and we, you know, half the world didn't even know that they existed. Um, the internet was, was brand new. I mean, I was still, when I was booking guests, I work on Mike and Mike my very first year at ESPN for my first um, job there uh, and then left and then came back to Mike and Mike at the end. But the very first job I had was booking guests for Mike and Mike in 2000. We had to fax our requests for guests on letterhead to <laughs> the teams and get the number. We couldn't even do it via email, much less That's phone crazy. calls and texting. So it was a different time. And so meeting these people in person was a big, it was like you're meeting your hero mm -hmm. and you've not seen them up close and in person outside of their element of sports. Now with social media, everybody's getting a behind the scenes look. Everybody's yeah. connected. Even if they don't know the person, they feel like they're connected with these players in a way that did not exist when we were growing up. And so, yeah, yeah I think it's a little different today. Although I will tell you if, if my daughter met some of her heroes and she has, you know, musicians or others through the different connections I've had, she's still pretty pretty in awe of the fact that she got to hang out or see these people up close and in person. Um, so I don't think that rubs off too much, but I think social media <laughs> has, you know, took a little shine off, you know, off the, off the luster, a little luster off the, off the dome a little bit. Well, it was interesting. I watched your last show uh, on Mike and Mike and mm -hmm. you didn't leave ESPN because you got laid off. You didn't leave because you were unhappy. It was really this calling that you yeah. felt God had laid on your heart, this burden almost. And that really made an impact on the people that you worked with. Talk about that process that you went through to here you are, you, you find somewhat of your identity in where you work, but you made this, you make this decision to depart, to go pursue really more, more of an eternal calling. What, what was that process like? Yeah. Um, as I got, saved and became a follower of Christ in 2001. So it's Mother's Day 2001. I'm a year, less than a year into my ESPN journey. But it took me 10 years to even really fully grasp the idea that I was a follower of Christ who happened to be an ESPN producer, because it was the other way around for so many years. I was an ESPN producer first. Everything else kind of came behind that, including my faith. And so getting my identity kind of in its right order took over a decade. And once that started happening, I, I just felt this nudge and this urge from God to do more for him. And I didn't know what that meant. Uh, you know, I got more involved in my church. Uh, my church um, elected me to be on the elder board and I was a, you know, a church elder there. I still am. That was about a decade ago. And I did not think I was qualified or, or you know, still don't in many ways to be an elder. But I started seeing things happening in my life away from ESPN that that was 
I don't know, a yearning or a drawing to be closer to God and to grow in my faith. Um, in 2015, so this is two years before I left ESPN, I attended, speaking of Nashville, I attended a conference. It was really a gathering of about 75 people, a small gathering in Nashville at Lifeway, at the offices of Lifeway at the time. I don't know if they're still there. And there were 75 of us or so who were doing social media and digital media. And I was doing that at ESPN at the time, but the other 74 people were doing it for a church, faith-based nonprofit, some kind of some kind of faith-based organization. And when I found that out, you know, I was the only person who worked for a secular company that was there, but because of the ESPN name, they wanted to have me in. They knew I was a Christian and kind of share, you know, some of my story, but ultimately some of what I've been doing in social media. But I had a real epiphany at this conference, this gathering, that I saw people doing the exact same thing I was doing, but what I thought was for a, a greater purpose, you yeah. know, for God, because it was yeah. faith-based, it was church, whatever they were doing, their ultimate goal was to use social media to point people to the gospel. And I yeah. thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool someday to do something like that? Um, but I, I didn't think I was leaving ESPN. I'm like, but there's no way I would ever leave ESPN. Come on. But that was really stirred in me. Um, I'll never forget my friend, Brad Lominick. I don't know if you guys know Brad yeah. um, or at least know about him, but Brad's an amazing guy. And Brad was at this gathering. It was the first time I had met him in person. We arranged for about a month or two later, he was promoting one of his books and he was coming through Bristol, Connecticut to go to Boston. So I brought him to the studios and showed him around at ESPN. But at lunch that day, he was the first person I ever told, and this was September of 2015, I said, listen, I came out of that conference, and I don't know if God's stirring something up in me, but I think he might be calling me away from ESPN at some point. Am I crazy? And Brad looked at me and said, be careful, man. I said, okay, what do you mean? He goes, be careful, because God's going to blow your mind if you leave ESPN. Just be careful. And I didn't understand that or get that at that time. In fact, it didn't make any sense to me because I'm like, he's blowing my mind now. I'm at ESPN. <laughs> I'm going to blow it even further when I leave. How is that possible? But Brad was was prophetic in many ways that day uh, because it was about a year later when I'm on Mike and Mike again, working in my last year at ESPN. And I started mm -hmm. thinking, okay, God, you're, you're, you're stirring this, this yearning inside of me. What do you want me to do? And I kept coming back to the idea of, of patience, you know, as a fruit of the spirit. But I kept thinking patience doesn't mean you sit on your butt and do nothing. It's kind of active patience is what I call it. It means you, you wait, you trust God for his timing, but you don't just sit on your butt. You, you start doing something with that. And so what I did for that year, after I would finish working on Mike and Mike around 12 or one o'clock, I tried to connect with all of the different people that I had made relationships with outside of ESPN, probably like yourself, Justin, and others who were followers of Christ, who were speakers and authors and um, just people outside of work that I was connected with every day. And I just asked them for 30 minutes of their time. And I would go for a walk out here in Connecticut in the afternoon that spring and summer and just pick their brains. Ask them if, if I could just have their time. I didn't want to ask for any job or anything like that. And then also ask for a little clarity or affirmation to explain to them, this is what I'm thinking here. Am I crazy? And I tell you, that was amazing because it was such a 
it was such an uplifting time for me to meet these different people, talk to them and hear their stories. And some of them were stories of pivoting and stories of taking a leap and stories of moving on to something else. Cause I had not really done that. You know, I got to ESPN when I was 26 and here I am 42. It's you're kind of comfortable at that point to want to leave and move on to something else just feels weird. Yeah. Ultimately in one of those conversations, I met Steve Stenstrom, who is my boss now with sports spectrum. And he's the president of pro athletes outreach, which is a ministry based out in Colorado. And Steve's a former NFL player. Steve is amazing. He's a great guy, loves Jesus, and has a heart for ministry. And through our conversations, ultimately, he just came to me and said, I got a, I got a possible opportunity here for you. We just acquired Sports Spectrum, and it's sports and faith, and it's media. Is this something you, you, know, you would be interested in? And this was in the fall of 2016. I said, let's keep talking. And ultimately, it led to me taking a role, which, by the way, it was a 40% pay cut no benefits and a contract position for one year to leave ESPN for this. But I knew it was God's right time. Let me just say this. I knew it was, if it was from God, it was going to be a yes. And if it was from Jason, it was going to fizzle and fold up in my face. And I truly believed it was from God. And I prayed and talked to my wife quite a bit about whether it was okay to make this decision. But ultimately I made the decision and six and a half years later, I'm still with them. That's amazing. Oh, I'm sure the person listening is like leaning in hard and like, wait, what? You know, 100%. they're, they're going to go back and like, re. I'm, I'm like, welcome to ministry people. This is God steps. You. But seriously, what's interesting, Jason, as you were talking is you spent 17 years really um, gleaning the power of conversation and asking questions and how we grow when we ask good questions and we Mm -hmm. learn from that. So I think a lot of people in ministry don't even realize like that's such a great leadership um, truth of, you know, you can trust God, but in trusting him and in the waiting, it's active waiting. And the active waiting was gleaning from people. That was like such a huge, I think the person listening is going, man, I'm going to, I'm going to take that with me. And so there's, there's two questions I want to ask you. One are we'll get to the first one. Yeah. It's just in the past six years, like if you could use some descriptive words, what would you say has been the journey in, you know, this kind of next step of faith? Um, I think I would start with saying, uh, if it's from God, it's going to work out. And, you know, that's, I didn't know that, you know, now I can look back and I tell people all the time, if, if you ever want to know God's plan for your life, just look back because you can see the directions that he's taken you. And, you know, it's the lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge me and I will direct your path. You know, that's, that's what it is. If you acknowledge God, he's going to direct your path, but it's mm-hmm. often this roller coastery, windy road that you thought it was supposed to be this straight path of yeah going from here to here and ultimately you'll get there, but it's not a straight, it's a detour upon detour upon detour. And yet when you put your faith in, in trust in Jesus, truly um, he's going to get you there. And that's what I saw. That's what I've seen the last six and a half years. I mean, here's what happened in the last six and a half years. God allowed for me, cause it's not my doing. I didn't want to do this to write two books 
to start speaking at conferences and places all across the country to host my own show, which I'd never done um, since college, but was always my dream to do. Uh, ultimately, I went the producer route, so I didn't host anything at ESPN. But here I am hosting a show and talking to you guys. Like all of these things that have happened is it's crazy. And so crazy is probably the best word I can say. <laughs> um, but and I'm I'm consistently um, in, in an attitude of gratitude every day when I'm spending time with God. When I even when I get to do an interview um, for my own show, I just taped one a couple hours ago before I'm on with you guys, and it was with a hockey player, an NHL player, and I got to talk to him, and I I said thanks for joining us, and we were done, and. You know, I, I hung up with them and then I'm like, man, that was cool. Like, I still yeah. get to, I, I love my job. Like, who can say that? A lot of yeah. people can't, you know, especially as they're in, you know, heading into 50 years old. Do a lot of people really love their job or do they just have a job? Um, yeah. I still love my job. And I've been fortunate now for 26 years to have a job that I've loved to be in this business of media and sports and, um, but yeah, it's it's really trusting too because I'm not scared anymore of the unknown. I think mm -hmm. after when I left ESPN, there was a there was a little bit of fear and apprehension to know is this really the right move? I mean, I'm walking away from a six figure job which pays yeah. very well with great benefits from ESPN and from Disney and all of these perks that come with working in a place like that for a forty percent less pay with no guarantees, one year on a contract and really part-time work. Mm. What am I doing? And there's, there's fear and apprehension in that. But ultimately I think, um, I, I trusted God's guidance. That's the best way I can say it. And, and Brad Lominick was right. He blew the doors. All the people that oh. you can have that conversation with, he's pretty much the most perfect person to. <laughs> exactly. That was an divine appointment. He's Which, a great connector, by the way, too. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. more people I've met through him than I can even shake a stick at. But the, the, the mindset to say, God's going to blow your mind if you do this. He saw something that I clearly did not see or not think that could happen. Mm. Because how do you top ESPN? Right. You know, it's like winning championships with the Bulls and then going to, you know, the G League and, and playing a few games. Like how yeah. how yeah. could you say that that's better than winning championships? And for me, it's not the same, but it's it's so much better. <laughs> I'll just say that. And I I love my time at ESPN. I have nothing bad to say about them. I never will say anything about them badly uh, bad publicly. I just won't because they've done so much for my life, but I'm so glad that God has taken me to where I am right now. So glad. Well, you you know our story, and you mentioned two books. I, we want to really want to talk about one of your books that's just so impactful. Uniform of Leadership is your second book, but I want to talk right. about your first book because you know that forgiveness is really at the heart of our story. Yes, and forgiveness is at the heart of your story too. Mm -hmm. um, what I loved about your book is it's absolutely raw. It's un it's filtered, but it is very honest and very vulnerable. Um, it's called Live to Forgive, and yeah. the subtitle is Moving Forward When Those That Love, uh, Those That We Love Hurt Us. Yeah. And it's super powerful. It's really a story about you and your dad. And I think all of us, one of the things that is um, true for all of us is the people who are closest to us have the most capacity to wound us. Yes. Give, give us a, give us a 30,000 foot 
perspective, to use a, a, a line from the business, don't, we won't bury the lead. Um, but give yeah. us a 30,000 foot perspective of the book and why you chose to wrote it, write it. Yeah. And it's so interesting to be talking to you now um, because it's taken on a different connotation that I thought it would six months ago in talking about this book. And I'll explain that in a second. But yeah, in 2016, all the time that I'm spending talking to people from, you know, you know, during about the time of leaving ESPN, I get this opportunity to to begin writing a book about forgiveness and my dad. And I'm thinking, why would I ever want to go down this route? But I started sharing my story a little bit with a few people and at my church uh, about forgiving my father. My father has has been an alcoholic his whole life, basically, since he's been an adult. Um, and for many years, up to basically the age of 40, for me, uh, my dad could not stop drinking. And he caused a lot of pain um, and a lot of division in our, in our family with myself, my two brothers, certainly with my mom, who, who divorced him when I was very young, um, and with a lot of other family members, some that aren't even alive anymore. And so there was a, a very confusing relationship that I had with my dad but in a very broken relationship, but ultimately it was one that was, uh, consisted of a lot of bitterness and anger and forget and, uh, unforgiveness towards the pain that he had caused. And a lot of this is stemming while I'm growing as a follower of Christ as well. Um, there's mm -hmm. a great line in the movie. I can only imagine about Bart Millard's life where he looks at his dad, who's very similar in the relationship that he had with his dad, as I do with mine. And he looks at his dad and his dad looks at him and says, you know, do you think God can forgive me for what I've done? And, and Bart looks at him and says, well, God can forgive you, but I can't. And I'll never forget that line because that's probably how I felt with my dad. Like, yeah, God can forgive him and maybe redeem him and, and help him get sober. But I can't. Like, I just can't move forward with this. Uh, and then my dad tried to end his life and was unsuccessful in 2013. Um, had some mental things going on as well as his addiction issues. And that was a turning point for me uh, to really start uh, the process of forgiveness. And I remember at, at his lowest point, I looked at him and just told him, Dad, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. And I forgive you. Don't worry about anything from the past. I just want you to get better. And I pray that you'll be okay. And so I'm saying that to him, but I'm feeling this release and understanding that forgiveness was never about my dad. It was always uh, about my own little prison that I had created of, of bitterness and anger towards him. Uh, then I started doing some deep diving into forgiveness and reading Matthew 18 and reading what, what Paul talks about in Ephesians and Colossians about forgiving those that have hurt us and doing that every single time. And the reason why that's so important in our journeys with Christ to forgive, because that's what God does for us every day. And that's where the book kind of stemmed from, because it came from me sharing the story about my dad and forgiving him. And I can't, still can't believe to this day that there's a book out about my, my relationship with my dad. But I've, I wrote it not to just air dirty laundry of my life. I mean, I think you guys probably can understand this more than anyone, because you both did the same thing in terms of your story. But we did it. I did it because I wanted to help people understand the power of forgiveness mm -hmm. and how it really helped me in my life and, and freed me in such a powerful way in my journey with Jesus and my journey with other people. Um, what's crazy is after 
from 2013 to 2023, my dad was able to get sober and our relationship was, was beginning to, you know, reconcile and it was pretty good and it's still okay right now. But in April, when I went to Indiana to pick up my daughter from college, I get a call that my dad had relapsed and it was a almost 10 year anniversary of his relapse. And I was, I was shocked. I was like, wait a minute, aren't we past this? So the idea of forgiveness, while sounds great, now it's really being put into to a test again that I thought I would never have to think about with mm. my dad. And he relapsed a second time on Father's Day, and he really had a tough spring and summer. And that led to me having a tough spring and, and summer here in 23 mentally, because I'm like, wait a minute, why is this affecting me harder now? than it did when I was 26 or 28 or 30 years old. I mean, I wrote the book, right? I'm supposed to forgive and and everything's great. And now this is happening again. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of taking a full circle moment to, to speaking to you guys, because I haven't really gone to counseling much ever. I was in high school the last time I went to see a counselor. I mean, I've had great wise counsel in my life with my mm -hmm. pastors and other people, but I had to go to see a counselor this summer and work through some things because I was really upset about this and bitter that my dad had relapsed. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I thought once I've forgiven him, it was done. Like I had forgiven him and moved on. And I mean, I've spoken at hundreds of places talking about forgiveness and how it's mandatory. And here I am having to process this whole thing again and really try to put it into practice. And, um, yeah, it's an, it, that book was written five years ago, and it's never been more real or important to me in my life than even right now, because I'm living proof that forgiveness is a process, and it's not you know a one-stop shopping place, and that's it. It's over. It's done. Like It's literally every single day reminding yourself of why we have to forgive those that hurt us. Well, I, I appreciate just the candidness and willingness I think as authors and um, when you work in a sphere where you are public with a lot of your life, just in the nature of what we do, yeah. there are these moments that kind of catch you off guard of like, man, I really thought I worked through that. I wanted to end cap on that. Yes. And um, our stories are almost linear in in even timing with my, my dad's struggle mm -hmm. as well um, with alcoholism. And I've always lived with an olive branch. Like I, I want to be at a place of health that if my dad came to a place of brokenness, I would be ready. Mm, and yeah. we had that moment. He um, had a, a really bad fall and it he landed him in the hospital, kind of almost the same in different circumstances. But I say all that to say um, it, it was a conversation I had waited 30 years to have with him. And I was grateful that I had done the hard work of love to be prepared. It didn't make it easy. Right. But I think in the process of forgiveness, you know, Jesus talks about 70 times seven because we have to choose it over and over again. But I think the grace that we often don't give ourselves is, especially when it comes to those we love with addiction in a relapse, it's a new wound. It's an old story, but it's a new wound. And so like having to, um, go on the journey of forgiveness again, feels like I thought I already did this, but you know, we've learned in our own stories, it, it's a new wound. As you've talked about forgiveness and 
and you know, it's, it's like the kindness of God and just really the, the brutal part of just living in a broken world of just feeling like you had this beautiful story. And I remember, um, I had an opportunity to share, um, had about forgiveness on CNN and it was mm-hmm. like this incredible opportunity. They were very kind to me and let me talk about Jesus. And yeah. then like, a couple of weeks later, I got a letter from my my best friend who I hadn't heard from who the affair happened with in our story with Justin. Yeah. And it kind of like in your season, it just kind of blew my life up. It was not a healthy letter. And it was just like, God, you just made me a complete fool. Like I just went on, you know, live television, you know, worldwide. And I'm, I just lied because this isn't real. And so I remember feeling that feeling where you were to the core of like, what is forgiveness even real? And it's just this reminder that, you know, true forgiveness is when we offer it regardless of how the person responds. Correct. Yes. Because that's what Jesus did for us. You know, like he goes first to help us go second. But I think we romanticize unknowingly how we want the story to go in that forgiveness. You know, when you, when you talked about your story do you sense like a theme that in the process of forgiveness, people tend to skip over or don't want to embrace to get to that place of forgiveness? Yeah, I think, you know, there's the, the book was written in four parts, uh, feeling the pain, evaluating the trauma, transforming the wound and forgiving the abuser. And I think it's the evaluating the trauma part that was hardest for me, feeling the pain, um, transforming the wound was also difficult, but the evaluating the trauma part was something that a lot of people don't want to do. Um, I, for when I was younger and going through the trauma with my dad, it was easy for me to just, I talk about boxes in the attic, right? You just kind of store it in a box, close it up, put it in the attic and leave it there and hope it just kind of goes away. But ultimately you're going to have to go back in the attic and pull the box out and address what's inside. So that part was really hard for me. Um, but I thought I had moved past it. And suddenly I feel like I, I just recently have had to pull another box out of the attic and go through this. Um, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to evaluate the trauma this summer at all. Cause I wasn't expecting it and I didn't really want to deal with it. Uh, and I had to have multiple conversations with my two brothers, my younger brothers who I, I love dearly and were best friends about this with our dad. And like, are you guys feeling this too? Like, am I the only one that's really struggling with this right now? And obviously we all love our dad and we pray for him and, you know, he's not a Christian, but we pray for his salvation. That's really my, my only prayer for him right now. And he's been sober for a month and a half or so, almost two months, which is great. But my prayer in the past was that he would get sober. My prayer Mm -hmm. now is that he would just come to faith in Christ and sell himself out for Jesus, because that's the only true thing that can, that can save him. Right. And we both know that. But this trauma, I, I didn't want to deal with this. I was kind of turning into an angry person earlier this summer. And, you know, I, I, I know it was affecting my wife and trying to have conversations with my daughter, who's now an adult at 19. The last time her grandfather was, you know, struggling with alcohol, she was eight years old or nine years old. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to talk to her about this, too, and explain, listen, dad's not dad's going through some stuff right now. Um, so I think that's the ne- the hardest step. Um, in the process of forgiveness is really just dealing with the trauma and acknowledging that it's there and not trying to just suppress it or push it away uh, and say, everything's fine. You know, the, 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 
the worst word I think in the dictionary um, is fine because that's yeah. a word we use to just cover up the fact that it really isn't fine. So that's been something I've been I've been working through a lot, and, and hopefully, as people hear this, they can understand that this is it's okay to work through that, but it's important yes. to address it and not just to suppress it and push it away. So good, Jason. Yeah. You know, I love when you say it's a process. It means it's not linear, and you're probably going right. to have to repeat it. Yeah, not because I'm person going through that, that now with my with my counselor is this could happen again. And then what? <laughs> so well, and it's, it's not even that your process. dad needs forgiving again. It's that you need to go through that process again so you can let it go. And I right. think one of the things that, that you really are living out right now or living in is this idea of forgiveness and trust, right? Like, mm. because now your dad yeah. had built up trust over the last 10 years. Yeah. And in a moment, he's lost that trust. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people get hung up on the fact that if I forgive them, I have to trust them again, or they have to have access to me again. And that isn't always the, the healthiest thing, right? There has to be boundaries and there has to be, um, you can you can forgive someone and still allow them to go through the process of earning trust again. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a, a lot of times in marriages or in close proximity relationships, right? Where people have yeah. the, the, that close proximity, we equate forgiveness and trust and it gets so that trauma then affects um, our ability to, to grow in the relationship because we know we can't trust that person, but we feel like if we, I have to trust them, if I'm really forgiving them and there's, there's not necessarily, those aren't the, the same thing. Yeah, the boundary, you, the boundary part is huge. Um, yeah. It's something I've had to do because my dad, after he got sober, because my dad's two relapses were, were hardcore off the deep end relapses. Like they weren't just, I picked up one drink. Oh, I messed up. No, this was, he went off the deep end and he had to go to the hospital twice to dry out. Like it was bad. And so when he got out and you know, his, you know, there's a chapter in the book called those dreaded phone calls. When my dad drinks, he starts calling and making phone calls to people to look for that sympathy or forgive, you know, for, you know, somebody to feel sorry for him or whatever. And he started doing that and I had to set, set it up in late June, early July this year, just a couple months ago and say, dad, I'll, I'll talk to you, but it's gotta be once a week and it's gotta be on my terms or we're not talking just because I need the space. And this wasn't trying to be mean or a jerk or anything. It's just, this is what I need to work through right now. And, um, it's been good. You know, it's a, like you say, it's a process and I'm seeing some good steps, some, some steps in the right direction with my dad and I in terms of our relationship. But I also just got to make sure that I'm, I'm mentally in the right place for me. Um, and thank goodness for counseling out there. I mean, this, especially Christian counselors who are doing, you know, God's work out there. Um, this Christian counselor has helped me tremendously to process some of this um, and to, and to be able to feel that pain and to be able to start the process again of forgiveness but also to understand that, you know, boundaries are okay too, and to, to work through all of that. And so it's, it's, we're, I'm talking to you in the midst, which is interesting. It's easy I'm to talk about things. So much for your vulnerability on this. Cause we, you know, you could have kept it. Yeah. You kept it in the past. And so for you to be willing to, I think it's going to help a lot of people who are in some really uh, difficult relationships right now yeah. really resonate with what you're what you're processing in real time and not just what had the bow on it 
which was you know, what the book was for like the yeah. last five years. It's this yes. bow on top of everything yeah. that happened in the past and everything's yeah. great now. And yeah. now you're walking in the mud a little bit right now and it's a little messy. And I'll tell you one thing I did learn though from counseling was I had placed, I knew that my identity is in Christ, but, and I'm actually going to preach about this on Sunday at my church. And I only preach a couple times a year, but this is something I feel God is, is really showing me. I had placed my identity so much in my past and being the son of an alcoholic. And so I would go and speak and share about this to places and I would almost buy into the identity factor that I was Joe Romano's son, Jason, who didn't drink and who was able to overcome his father's alcoholic issues. And that that's a dangerous place to be when you put your identity in anything other than Jesus and I've discovered even recently that I'm almost buying into this identification of, oh, here we go again. Jason is Joe's son who's struggling with alcohol again. And my counselor has been amazing to remind me that, no, you're, 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 you're God's son. Like Jesus is where your identity needs to be found. And that's something we need to talk through and remind each other every single day. And I'm not sure if people hearing that are are resonating either or if you guys resonate it, but our past is a really big time lie for us to place our identity in. Uh, and I think a lot of people get stuck there and I have been working through that too. I, this has been probably one of the most, well, first of all, I'm like, where is my freaking tissue box? <laughs> Cause I need it right now. Um, With everything that you, Chris and I have been through over the last couple of years, we could curl up in a ball and start crying right yeah. now. Oh, but it's a good cry. Yeah. There's there's something powerful. I think that's why there's power in our testimony, right? There's yeah. it's not about a bow. It's not having all the answers, but there is something um, that I feel like breaks bondage um, of our fears of the what if that people knew, um, mm. the frustration we sometimes have with God. What if people knew our frustration? But when we share the truth of where we really are. There's power in that to say, you know what, I don't understand this, but I'm still trusting God. I don't yes. agree with him in this and I, I, I wish it was different, but I'm gonna I'm gonna trust God. And I think that there is sometimes more power in that than the bow. Mm-hmm. But I can say, like, we are so beyond grateful for this conversation. I know that there's a person listening who is probably heart racing, you know, and looking for their tissue box as well. But it's this beautiful reminder that we are broken people, yeah. um, but God is, he is so faithful and he meets us in the highs and the lows. This conversation has been full of like, how do you step out from like this crazy, amazing career and trusting God? It, it is, this whole conversation has been about trust yeah. and you have trusted this transition. You have trusted God in the expectations of a decade long forgiveness, you know, you're, you're trusting God in this new season of what he's doing. And I think that just encourages us to choose. I I know even personally for myself, I know Justin's like, Oh my gosh, is she going to handle this? (laughs) Just, we're just kind of in the thick of it. And it's this reminder we need from each other that we can trust God. And, and then you trusting to go to counseling. We're, we talk a lot about counseling on this podcast. I mean, if it's going to be all about let's get real, we're going to need some counselors in the house. And uh, the truth, yes, they are. You know, I say just because someone's a counselor doesn't mean they're a good one. You may have to fight for a, a good counselor. That's right. But they are the best partnership to find your way through. And God is 
the the best person who's going to hold you in the midst of walking that walk. And so thank you so much, Jason, for just all of this. We're going to put all of your information in the show notes so people can read your books and, yeah. um, you know, just continue to be inspired by what God is doing in your life and know that we will be continuing to pray for all of our dads represented in this conversation. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. the story has not yet been completely written and that yeah. there's hope in that. So thank That's you right. so much. Yeah, Trisha, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing what you shared. And uh, it's an honor to be on with you guys. Justin, great to see you, buddy. And uh, thank you so much for having me. What an incredible episode with Jason. I'm so appreciative of his transparency, his honesty, just his willingness to share the journey of forgiveness and the process that he is still in uh, when it comes to forgiving his father. And maybe that is kind of where you find yourself today. You're in the middle of forgiveness. And so I hope that you were encouraged uh, by Jason's testimony and, and just his words of encouragement today. I want to encourage you to go to the show notes because we're going to put links there to where you can follow Jason on Instagram, where you can buy his book, Live to Forgive on Amazon. And you can go and listen to the Sports Spectrum podcast where Jason interviews sports stars from all the major sports, uh, both college and professional. It's, it's an incredible podcast uh, to listen to and, and be encouraged in your faith. Maybe as we go into the holidays, you're married and you're struggling in your marriage right now. And you know that the holidays is one of the most difficult times for marriages. In fact, more people file for divorce in January than any other month of the year because they think to themselves, let's just get through the holidays. And Trish and I would love to help serve you in this season. If you are struggling in your marriage, we offer marriage coaching and we offer a free marriage coaching discovery call. And so you can go to refineus.org slash marriage coaching and find out more information about that. And we'd love to come alongside you in 2024 and help you have the best year of your marriage, no matter where you find yourself in your marriage relationship. Guys, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Let's Get Real podcast. And we'll see you next month. We're going to be joined next month with our three older children. They are Micah, Elijah, and Isaiah as we talk about parenting in the month of December.